I am always left aghast as I look to those scenes of the Passion where Christ is now suspended upon a cross, dying the death of a traitor, suspended between two thieves well deserving of their punishment. Not Him. He deserved nothing of what He received. And yet He bears it fully. Wrist pierced. Ankles pierced. He excruciatingly seeks to breathe by pressing up on the narrow pierced feet to just gain enough room to expand his rib cage to get a, a little breath. The crown he chooses to wear, crown of thorns. The very thing which sprang from the ground because of sin he bears on his head. But most significantly, in the midst of all of the physical pain, which is just one aspect of the curse, He bears the wrath of God. The Son of God bearing the wrath of God. God the Son bearing the wrath of God the Father. A wrath that you and I deserve. This is the weakest moment in the eternal existence of Christ. And yet, at His weakest, He destroys evil's two greatest powers. The power of sin and the power of Satan. At His weakest, He destroys the greatest powers of evil. What a Savior. What happened at Calvary that makes this terrifying image of our great, good Savior being pierced and crushed under the winepress of God's wrath, what, in, what at all could make that good? Tonight I want to answer that question. That Jesus did not go and die as a victim. He died as a victor. He died to win. In His death, He defeated the two greatest forces which come against us and ensure our death. But He breaks them both at Calvary. We see this in Colossians chapter 2. We will spend all of our time here mostly tonight and and I'm just going to, we're going to walk through it together about what Christ on the cross accomplished for us who are in Him by faith. Let's just go this little by little. This is one of the greatest gospel texts in the Scriptures. Paul writing to the church at Colossae who is being berated by these Jewish mystics who are telling the church there that they, they need to adopt all of these rituals and practices to, to get security in, with God. 
They need to take on all of these rituals and follow these ascetic practices and do all of these aspects of mysticism to trust in their flesh that they are doing something that would make God happy. And what Paul does to them is he says, to heck with all of that. Look to Christ and Christ alone for your security. Look to Christ and Christ alone for your sufficiency. Do not look to the flesh. Do not look to vain and empty philosophy and the traditions of men which calls you to lean on your flesh. Look to Christ. He who the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. This letter is a letter of the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ for our salvation. And this is the pinnacle text in the whole letter. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Stop. If you don't understand your state apart from Christ, there's nothing good about tonight for you. If you don't understand your condition apart from Jesus, there is nothing about this cross to celebrate. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. Dead. Not broken. Not flawed. Dead. And what can dead men do for themselves? Nothing. Nothing but stink. That's what dead men can do. Nothing for themselves. From the moment we were born in sin and iniquity, we laid in a grave of our own doing. And there was nothing we could do to get out of it. There was nothing we could do to work our way out of that grave. Like Lazarus, who was called forth by name, only God could bring us out of it. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. Dead. And the uncircumcision in your flesh. That, that, that may seem like weird language to us, not language that we're used to. But that concept of uncircumcision in our flesh, it's the picture of not, we're not, we're cut off from God. It's covenantal language. Our, our heart hasn't been circumcised. It hasn't been cleansed. This flesh which wars against us and holds us captive to that sin which keeps us dead. It's this tomb that needs to be removed, but we can't do it on our own. This tomb of the flesh which locks us in our sinful grave has to be cut off if we're ever going to live. You are dead. Done for under the just wrath of a holy God. There's nothing you could have done to get out of it. For even in your righteousness, it was but filthy deeds before a holy God. But hear the great words of this immense grace of God. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made Alive together with Him. That's Jesus. God made alive together with Him. You were dead. You were done for. You were under the wrath of a just and holy God, and yet He made you alive with Christ. He had to do it. God had to do it. In other words, every single thing about your salvation comes by grace and grace alone. There is nothing that you could have done to get out of the grave. God had to do it. Salvation is of the Lord, Jonah 
God made you alive. Notice there is nothing in Colossians 2, 13 through 15 about what you did. You are totally passive in this. The glorious recipient of a gracious God. God made us alive together. How though? How could God take sinners and make them alive and still be holy and just? Well, he tells us God made us alive with him in Christ Jesus, right? Having forgiven us all our trespasses. So we were made alive by that sin being completely forgiven, right? The wages of sin is death, is death. So the only way to be made alive is to have this sin, this total long list of sins from the time you were born, this blacklist which goes on and on and on, page after page after page of your failure before a holy God. It had to be forgiven completely. But how could He do that? How could God just forgive you? If you had your child murdered and the murderer stood in the courtroom and the judge just looked at the murderer and said, you know what? I'm feeling gracious today. I'm going to let you go. You'd say, that is an unjust judge. That is a wicked ruler. That he would just forgive without the penalty being paid? And if God were just to arbitrarily forgive, without any judgment being done, without any justice being paid, it would make him an unholy God. So how did he forgive us of trespasses? How could he make us alive by forgiving us of sin? Well, Paul continues, he has forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Here. We start seeing the justice taking place. So, we were sinners. And there's this massive list of debt. And that debt is made clear by the law of God. The law of God has two demands. It demands obedience for righteousness. And it it demands justice for rebellion. Obedience for righteousness justice for rebellion. But when we look to ourselves against the law of God, guess what you find? Guilty, 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 guilty. Guilty in every way. And that guilt, the the list is beyond all comprehension. The paper is dark. There is more ink than we can imagine that is marked with our transgressions and iniquities of how we have rebelled against God with thought, deed, and word. And so, the only way for that just demand to be met for that record of debt that you and I have, a debt you and I cannot pay back, is to have justice brought upon it. And what justice is there for sinning and rebelling against an eternal God? It is His wrath. His eternal wrath. 
We have sinned against an eternal holy God and therefore we are deserving of an eternal punishment. And the only way that that debt can be removed and canceled is if the full wrath of God is brought upon it and therefore meeting the just requirement. So how can He do that? How can He cancel this debt which is so deserving of the wrath of God when there's been nothing about us that's been faithfully obedient? We are all lawbreakers, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one does what is good. No one seeks after righteousness. It's Romans 3 to a T. How can we ever get out from underneath the reality of that just demand of the law, which requires that curse be brought upon us in the wrath of God? And the answer is, we need a substitute. We need a substitute who is perfect and spotless, who has met the full, righteous, obedient requirement of the law and can stand as a substitute in our place to receive the full curse and wrath of God. Enter Jesus. For this is how He cancels the debt. We see this in the very next line. He says, by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. How were the legal demands of God's wrath fully met so that He could be both just and justifier in forgiving sinful rebels? And the answer is, through His perfect spotless Son, who would come and take our place upon Calvary, who has in every way fulfilled the righteous demands of the law, and now comes and has our sin placed upon Him, that record of debt fully put on Him. And when that debt was nailed to the cross, it wasn't going through a piece of paper, it was going through the Son of Glory who now wears all of your sin upon Him and bears your curse. My friends, when Jesus went to Calvary, He went to Calvary with your sin upon His flesh and your name upon His heart. And as He was suspended on that cross, the full wrath of God, a holy hatred for sin, was fully poured out upon the Son at Calvary. And all of it, every drop of His wrath due for every person who would believe upon Christ was poured out upon Jesus. And He drank the cup dry. Which is why He said, it's finished. No wrath left over. I've drank it all so that everyone who is in Him, there is not an ounce of wrath left for you. And as He pressed upon His Son all of His wrath, out came flowing from the Son all of His righteousness. Two things poured out from Calvary on the, this day. The wrath of God and the righteousness of God flowed from this tree. 
And in the midst of that reality, all of sin fully destroyed once and for all because its debt fully covered, blotted out our transgressions, all of that ink of guilt and sin now washed away by the precious blood of the Lamb. So that now that record of debt has a single stamp with the Lamb's blood upon it which says, paid in full. Paid in full. So that now that record of debt is completely covered. It is no more against you. No more do you walk around if you are in Christ today with that bondage of sin weighing on your back. Waiting for the day for God to bring retribution against that sin. Because if you're in Christ, it's been removed. Your sin was placed upon Him at Calvary and now His righteousness is given to you. You were at infinite debt with God. And had Jesus just came to die for sins, that would have only brought you back to ground level and guess what? You would have fell right back down into the grave. But praise be to God at Calvary. He didn't just come to cover your debt, but to give you an eternal bank account of righteousness so that never again could you steep back into the grave of sin. That forever you can now dwell in the presence of a holy God and be declared as right in heaven. And when He took away sin and the power of sin at Calvary, by nailing it to His Son, He fully defeated the power of the devil. And we see this in verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Notice what it says. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. This is not the Romans. This isn't the Jewish high priest. This is principalities and powers. What man couldn't see on that day was that a massive cosmic battle was taking place. And when it looked as if Christ was at His greatest loss, He was declaring His greatest victory. So brothers and sisters, I say to you today, don't look to what is seen. When everything else in the world looks bad and dark, don't look to that. Look to the cross. It's already won. The victory's already established. Don't look to what is seen. Look to what is true. And He is one. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. What did He disarm them from? What weapon did He take away from Satan? What is Satan's job? He's the accuser. And when your guilt was wiped away, your sin, every one of them, past, present, and future, covered at the cross of Calvary, Anything that the, that the enemy might accuse you of has been taken away. At Calvary, the accuser was thrown down. He was thrown out of the courtroom, courtrooms of heaven. And now, anything that he might seek to accuse you from, the Lord says, covered, paid in full. Covered by the blood of my Son. His greatest weapon was cast down. He is a defamed Viper. He can seek to strike you, but it will not land. You have been made right in the courtrooms of heaven. 
He has nothing he can hold against you. Satan's greatest weapon has been thrown down. He is no longer an accuser to you. So stop listening to his whispers. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Why? There's no reason to accuse you anymore. He's covered every bit of it. He's washed away every sin. Everything that might give you a guilty verdict has been covered by the blood of the Lamb. When Satan striked the heel of the Son at Calvary, thinking that this would be the fatal blow, immediately he felt a crushing blow on his skull like never before. When he striked the Lion of Judah, crushed his head. And he was done for. And my friends, I want you to know today, if you're in Christ Jesus, the enemy, he can tempt you. He can entice you. If the sovereign Lord should allow it, he can even do physical harm to you. But he can't touch your soul. He can't touch your soul. For it has been secured by the blood of the Lamb. You have been hidden in Him. So what can the enemy do to you in Christ Jesus? And it says He put Him to open shame. Why? Think about how shameful this death was for Jesus. They could have killed Him in private. They could have killed Him quietly. But no, they sought to make a spectacle of Him. To mock and belittle Him. To put a sign over His head to beat him and put clothes on him just to rip him off, to add insult to injury, to spit and mock, to to crucify him in the middle of two thieves. Every bit of this was to try to bring shame on him. And as they sought to bring shame on him, he shamed the powers and principalities of darkness. Because what they thought was their greatest moment of victory was actually their loss. It was their loss. And there is no greater way to shame the enemy that even in his greatest attempts to overthrow the will of God, he only brings it to fruition. My friends, Jesus defeated the power of sin. And in doing so, he rendered Satan utterly defeated because no more can he come to you and accuse No more can He come to the throne room of heaven and say, look at this guilty sinner. Look at this guilty sinner. For my friend, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are no longer guilty. You are covered. You are innocent, declared right, justified on the basis of grace alone through faith alone in Christ Jesus. And you are forever redeemed. And it cannot be lost because the blood of this Lamb is eternal. And its purifying force is unending. For it has washed you of all sins, past, present, and future. That record of debt is forever gone, forever paid, and it will never be uncovered again. For you are hidden in Christ. But there is only one way to know for sure tonight whether or not that is you. And that is to ask the question, have you believed upon Christ? 
Have you repented of your sin and believed upon Christ? For it is only through faith that we receive this glorious reality. It is only by faith that we can know that this perfect sacrifice, this perfect atonement was done for you. Do you believe? For if you do not believe upon Christ, my friend, you have no share in this. You have no share in this if you are not in Jesus. But if you surrender to Him by faith, every sin is blotted out. The power of Satan to accuse you in the courtrooms of heaven is forever destroyed. At His weakest moment, Christ destroyed the two greatest powers of evil against us. And if He could do that at His weakest, my friends, how protected should we feel when He is at His strongest? And precisely, He is at His strongest now. My friends, this is what happened at Calvary. He died to win. If you believed in Christ, and if you do, do not seek to do and to earn what you can't obtain. Stop trying to, to, to attempt to gain what only God can give. Stop walking with the, with this accusations of guilt upon your heart. That's exactly what the enemy would seek to do. The enemy hates that you have been redeemed because he can't. He hates that he can no longer accuse you. So he would seek to wish to whisper in your ear to pull you away from the glories you have in Christ. Stop walking in guilt. Stop walking in fear of your failure. It has been covered by Christ. Look to the Lamb who was slain for you. My friends, the world looked upon the cross and it laughed. His disciples weep because they could not see the battle that had been won. Yes, It was finished. But Christ wasn't. And while all of His enemies on earth thought this was the end, it was just the beginning. It was just the beginning. For a kingdom had just been established on the foundation of a perfect sacrifice. And this kingdom would never be shaken. Though the world would sit in silence at the weight of what had just happened on Saturday, when Sunday comes, there will be no doubt the king has won. I ask you today do you believe the gospel? Do you believe this truth of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 21? He made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. He gave Him your sin. And by believing upon Him, He gives us His righteousness. None of this was deserved. But that's what makes it grace. Do you believe in this? Does your life believe in the reality of the freedom that you have in Christ? Does your heart 
Is it compelled by the love of what Jesus has done for you? Do you walk in victory over sin? And do you live in light of the fact that though we wrestle against principalities and powers, we wrestle in light of the victory we already have? That you can proclaim to the enemy, you are already defeated. You have no power here. My king is one. Look to the cross when you struggle with your failure. Look to the cross when you feel as if you haven't done enough to please Him. Look to the cross when you start trying to earn it for yourself. Look to the cross when you would look down upon others. Look to the cross and see your God poured out for you. And never look away. Never look away. Pastor Freddie is going to come up here now. We're going to close in a song, but this is not a song for you to sing. This is a song for you to sit and to feel and to see Christ. Let the glories of what He did for you at Calvary resonate upon your heart. Close your eyes if you must and see your Savior poured out for you. See Him crushing your sin. See Him defeating your enemy. See His love for you poured out. See His grace for you in abundance. And if you have yet to come to Christ Jesus tonight, I say to you, be like that centurion who looked at the cross and said, surely He's the Son of God. And repent and believe and be met with a victory like nothing else. You can't earn it. And any system that would tell you to go after to fix yourself up is one that will damn you to hell. Go to the one who bore it all for you. Be met with forgiveness like no other. And walk out of here with the absolute assurance. My debt has been canceled at the cross of Calvary. Don't leave here without knowing that for sure. Right where you are, look to Jesus and don't look away.